Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to episode 344 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for taking the time to join me today for this episode from Scotland in the Kingdom of Fife as I look at a shocking murder. This week I made a short video from the murder scene, which you can find on all my social channels or on YouTube if you just search UK True Crime Live. Right, let's set some context with our guest of the month and year game. Top of the UK charts was Uptown Funk from Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars. You may have heard it. In the US at number one was Taylor Swift with Blank Space. Top of the album charts in Australia were those veteran rockers ACDC with Rock or Bust. In the news this month, The Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies, the third and final Hobbit film was released. Not really my scene, is it yours? Darren Wilson, the police officer who shot dead unarmed black teenager Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, resigned. Greetings card retailer Clinton's withdrew a tongue-in-cheek Christmas card detailing 10 reasons why Santa Claus must live on a council estate after it was deemed to be offensive by some. No, it seriously was. A High Court judge ordered the winding up of Hereford United Football Club following a petition from the Inland Revenue over unpaid tax debts. And do you remember this? When CityLink's administrators announced a loss of 2,356 jobs after a deal to buy the firm fell through. And finally, in UK true crime news, Suffolk doctor Miles Bradbury pled guilty to abusing 18 young cancer patients in his care at Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge between 2009 and 2013. He was sentenced to 22 years in prison. So unlike last week when I managed to get my own guest the month and year game wrong, this week I've paid extra attention. And I can assure you, it was December 2014. So close again. Maybe next week, eh? Today's story is from the Scottish city of Dunfermline, which is about 20 miles northwest of Edinburgh, just across the Firth of Forth. When we pick up the story in 2014, living in a house close to the railway station in Dunfermline was 54-year-old Carol Taggart and one of her three children, 30-year-old Ross, and this is the house from where she ran her successful childminding business. But then on the 22nd of December, Ross reported Carol missing to the police. He told how they'd argued and his mum had stormed out of the house and he didn't know where she was. He said it was completely out of character for Carol to do this. And he added how his mum had been suffering from periods of depression over recent years and he was worried for her safety. Ross's sister Lorraine had grown apart from her brother and at the time of Carol's disappearance, They hadn't spoken for a long time. When she missed Ross's call, she was out shopping. She asked her husband to call him back and overheard what he was saying on the phone. 
I could hear him saying that mum was missing. They had an argument and she stormed out of the house. It was during the night that she had left. Lorraine wasn't too concerned initially, but when she'd unsuccessfully tried to call her mum back over ten times by the end of that day, she feared that something could be wrong. Then when Carol didn't call or make an appearance on Christmas Day, Lorraine feared the very worst. And then on that most special of days, she received a call from the police. Her mum's car had been found and inside was her phone in her purse. Lorraine was devastated and also she was suspicious of her brother Ross and how he had reacted after reporting the disappearance of their mum. Detectives asked her why she felt like this and for more about the family history. So taking a deep breath, Lorraine began to tell them. Lorraine had grown up with Carol, Ross and her biological dad, Sean. Ross had a different biological father. They were an ordinary happy family who did all the things that families do and shared the ups and the downs of life together. Whereas Lorraine was particularly close to her dad, Ross and Carol too had a special relationship and Carol could never, it seemed, see any fault at all in Ross. Maybe it was the four years they'd spent together before Lorraine and Sean came onto the scene. Lorraine recalled, Ross and me used to play Barbie and Ken together out in the garden on holiday, running about playing football, the normal brother and sister things. Even into our older years we got on very well. But Ross's behaviour began to change after his biological dad was killed in an accident. As they got older, the two children developed in different ways and became much less close. Lorraine worked hard, she did well in her exams and she pursued her dream of a career in dancing. Ross, on the other hand, was, well, he was different. He was lazy. He expected things to come to him rather than going out to achieve them. And his mum, Carol, supported him, thinking it was just a stage he was going through and the true Ross that she knew and loved would emerge. But this caused major issues in the family, and Carol and Sean argued over their approach to Ross. Eventually, the pressure grew too strong, and after 19 years together, Sean and Carol separated, and Sean moved out of their home. Sean was absolutely heartbroken that they were splitting, But after Carol had told him that Ross came for everything, including him, he really had no option as he saw it. Ross, meanwhile, was delighted with this news, as he was now, as he saw it, the man of the house, and he could manipulate Carol even further. He could get more money and everything else he wanted without having to consider Sean. The break from Sean had affected Carol's mental health and this began to suffer as she experienced bouts of depression. As she went through these periods, it made it even more difficult for her to stand up to Ross in any way at all, and she became yet more dependent on her son. Lorraine did her best to help her mum, making endless appointments for Carol to get the help she needed, but without success. And Carol continued to rely more and more on Ross, who of course encouraged this. But for Lorraine too, it was an incredibly difficult time. She told how Ross had once hit her at the house when she was in her 20s and dragged her around, all in front of her mum who hadn't done anything to stop what was happening. 
My mum was there and she didn't stop it. Too scared? I don't know, she said. I honestly don't know why she was so protective of Ross. It was a strange relationship. She would listen to everything he said. I felt like the third wheel. I don't get why he was the blue-eyed boy, she added. And two years after Sean left the family home, Lorraine felt that she too had no option but to leave. Ross was in his mid-twenties and had no partners or no life really outside the one he lived with his mum. Carol too spent more and more time with Ross and their social lives revolved around each other. They would even go on holiday together. Friends and family watched helplessly as this change happened in their relationship and as Carol grew more dependent on him, Ross dropped much of the niceness he'd shown his mum before and he was nasty, he was cruel, snappy and he often got angry, knowing that when he did so, Carol would then do whatever it took to make him okay again. And Carol rewarded Ross for what she saw as his loyalty and for looking after her by changing her will and making him the main beneficiary and executor of her estate. Her will read that she would leave him the house and business in consideration of the fact that during my illness, Ross has stayed with me and supported me and in so doing given up a large part of his freedom and activities. In August 2012, Lorraine got married, and this was the last time that she, Carol, Sean and Ross were together. But after this day, Ross isolated Carol even further, and when Lorraine had her first child in 2014, Ross didn't let Carol see her only grandchild. Her mum was of course the first person she texted with a picture of the baby, and when she came home from hospital, Carol had left a package on the doorstep containing two hand-knitted jumpers for the little one. But Carol didn't ring the doorbell, they didn't ever speak again. And Carol was stopped by Ross from ever meeting her grandson. In October 2014, two months before she went missing, Carol took Ross to New York for his 30th birthday and on their return spent over £1,500 on Ross's Christmas presents. As Lorraine spoke to detectives, She said that she was desperately worried that Ross had maybe hurt Carol and she'd gone away to protect him. But after her mum's car was found with her phone in her purse inside, she feared that something worse may have happened. And detectives shared Lorraine's concerns and they shared concerns around Ross too. They had done in reality, ever since he had made the initial call to them and they had been monitoring him. Now, we all react differently to these traumatic situations that happen in our lives. But while Lorraine and Sean had stayed home upset and calling people desperately, waiting and searching for news, Ross behaved very differently when Carol was missing. He went to Edinburgh for a meal and to watch Hunger Games at the cinema and bought himself some trainers, all with Carol's credit card. And police concerns were really raised when Ross had tried to pawn his granddad's watch and his mum's ring, one that she'd always worn on her finger. He told the people in the pawn shop that they'd been left to him, but the people working there were instantly suspicious of Ross and called the police. Trying to pawn his mum's jewellery when she was a missing person was certainly very odd behaviour. It was on the 11th of January when Lorraine and the family received the news they'd been hoping against hope would never come. 
Carol's body had been found. She'd been found under a caravan in nearby Petticoat Bay, which is about 20 miles from Dunfermline along the Fife coast. This was the same holiday park where Carol had a caravan. It was a happy place for her. Carol had suffered a violent death. She'd been brutally attacked and strangled with her neck broken. Her body was covered in bruises and when Lorraine was taken with Sean to identify her body, to save their distress, they were only shown the wrist of Carol where she had a distinctive tattoo. Lorraine said, It was a little tattoo on her wrist, a purple rose which was mine and her favourite colour, and a green leaf. I said, that's my mum. Up to that point, I prayed it wasn't her. Just that little moment of it not being her. Whoever had killed Carol had not just inflicted terrible injuries on her, but they just discarded her body under a caravan in the cold and the wet and the bad weather, showing Carol no respect at all in death. This caravan park was also the place where detectives knew that Ross had been on Christmas Eve. He'd been there on the CCTV. He told them he was there just tidying up. He had nothing else to occupy himself while he was so worried about his mum. But was this too much of a coincidence? Detectives didn't think so. And three days later, Ross Taggart was arrested. Detectives uncovered the full extent of how Ross had lived a life of stealing from Carol and lying to her. For example, he pretended to have a job at Amazon in Dunfermline when he was actually going to the family caravan at Petticure Bay, where Carol's body was found, to sleep. The deception seemed to be working, as for the care she thought he provided, including managing her medication, Carol, as we've heard, rewarded this loyalty by changing her will to make him the primary beneficiary. However, something happened just before her death that finally real however something happened just before her death that finally revealed the real Ross to Carol. Around December, the December she went missing, her attitude to him suddenly changed, and she was talking about taking him out of her will, and even sent him a text saying, You're now sponging off me. It said, Apart from feed me, you do fuck all. You're nothing but a sponger to me, Ross. It's unsure why she'd sent that, what the change had been. But for whatever reason, it seemed that this change in attitude and the knowledge that his life of sponging was coming to an end that led Ross to kill his mum. Maybe she confronted him, and this is what caused him to assault Carol at their Dunfermline home. It was a brutal attack with his fists, which left Carol seriously injured. But Carol was still alive when Ross took her body out of the house into the boot of his car, wrapped in bed linen and to the caravan park. As you know, when you die, your blood clots. But at the caravan, there was Carol's blood in the caravan hallway and also in the bedroom. It is likely that once in the bedroom of the caravan, when he put her there, this is where Carol once again gained consciousness and where Ross finally strangled her to death. Ross was asked about Carol's blood being found at her home and at the caravan, along with signs of a clean-up effort both at her home, the caravan, and in the boot of his car. He was asked why her blood was found on one of his trainers, 
which had been bought for him on the birthday trip to New York, paid for, of course, by his mum. He tried to explain this by saying that his mum suffered from bad nosebleeds. Detectives also found that on the day they believed he'd murdered Carol, he'd been searching through the dating site Plenty of Fish, looking for casual sex. Using the sat-nav in Carol's car, detectives were able to show that after murdering Carol at the caravan site, he then drove straight to the woman's house for sex. Shocking, huh? Maybe this shows more than anything else we've heard today, just what a cold, unemotional killer Ross actually was. And it was two days after this that Ross called 101 to report Carol missing. Detectives believed they had the evidence needed to secure a conviction and charge Ross with Carol's murder. He was also charged with perverting the course of justice for all the lies and misleading information he had told the police as they searched for his mum. The trial, which took place in Edinburgh in November 2015, revealed the sheer horror of Carol's death. The case against Ross was comprehensive with the CCTV evidence and 188 witnesses and experts being called to give evidence. The defence called just Ross and two others. Ross showed no remorse as he spoke in court. He didn't deviate from the story he'd first told police when he reported Carol missing, which is that his mum had stormed out of the house after an argument. It was heard how during the time that Carol was missing, Ross gave the impression of a caring and worried son to the outside world. On December the 28th, six or seven days after he murdered his mum, Ross wrote on Facebook, We'd just like to thank everyone for their support this week and sharing the police post. Hopefully my mum will turn up. It's been very much appreciated. Ross smirked as family members gave testimony to the court and he snapped at the defence barrister on more than one occasion as if to say how dare you ask me these questions. He told the court he hadn't returned to his work as a joiner since the trip to New York. He claimed his mum had been very supportive of him, but of course the court also heard the message that she had sent him calling him a sponger. An ex-girlfriend who was back in touch with him at the time of the murder told how he had let her know that his mum was stressing him out. She said he wanted to move out and not stay there anymore. In the early hours of the 22nd of December, she received texts saying there had been an argument with his mum and she had stormed out, but he wasn't clear on the details. The prosecution barrister wasn't impressed with Ross, calling him an accomplished and plausible liar. The family went to the trial every day and sat in the court directly behind Ross, with only a pane of glass separating them. But he didn't turn to look at them even once and made no eye contact. His sister Lorraine said, there was no reaction from him. I was staring at him. Please react. Have some remorse. That's your mother you've murdered. I totally didn't know that person in front of me. Unsurprisingly, the jury weren't convinced and took just an hour to find Ross Taggart guilty and he was told that he would spend at least 18 years in jail. The judge told him the following. Ross Taggart, you've been convicted by the unanimous verdict of the jury of the terrible crime of the murder of your mother. A woman who did a great deal, indeed probably too much for you, in the course of her life. 
You have shown no regret or remorse and continued to deny your involvement before the jury in the face of overwhelming and unanswerable evidence against you. Your response to the evidence against you was at times ludicrous. How you have lived with your conscience since you murdered your mother, I do not know. Whatever you think of this sentence, 18 years, the glaring issue with it is that it means that when Ross is released, assuming he is released after 18 years, and with some of the recent startling decisions from our parole boards, there is no reason to suspect otherwise, this means that on his release, he will be significantly younger than Carol was when he murdered her. After the trial, Carol's ex-partner, Sean, said, he removed a ring from a dead body, the dead body of his mother, and tried to pawn it. That's the calibre of Ross. He went from being a cheeky-faced wee dude that liked a bit of rough and tumble to grow up into this monster. He's a greedy, self-centred boy that thought the world owed him a living when he realised there was a chance of him getting everything he wanted it. Ross is evil. Just evil. So what do you make of what we've heard today? We all know that families are often very complex with real and perceived favourites, issues and jealousies. But in this family, it seems that Ross used that relationship with his mum to slowly take her away from contact with others. It seems more like some of the stories we hear on this podcast of coercive control and domestic abuse. When I started researching this story, I thought that the number of parents being killed by their children was incredibly rare. Thankfully it is, but in the UK the numbers are rising. The Femicide Census, co-founded by Clario Callahan and Karen Ingala-Smith, shows the number of women killed by sons has shown a steady and alarming rise since 2016, after decades of remaining stable. The number of grandmas killed by grandsons has also risen. It also says that while younger women are more at risk of being killed by a partner or ex-partner, it is women in their 60s and older who are most at risk from their older sons and grandsons. In the census's 10-year report from 2009 to 2018, 8% or 109 of the total of 1,435 women killed by men were mums killed by their sons, while 11 grandmas were killed by their grandsons over the decade. And in 2020 alone, there were 14 killings of mothers and five of grandmas in a single year. So the picture does seem a concerning one, but the full analysis of why this number is increasing is for another podcast. For us today, I would like to finish as always by remembering Carol Taggart, a strong, successful, fun woman who built up a great business and was loved so many before her untimely death at just 54. And I can't even begin to comprehend the terror she must have felt when her own son began to attack her, can you? Our thoughts are with all her family and friends. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. Remember to watch my video from the murder scene. Just go to YouTube and search UK True Crime Live. To discuss this story and any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to Facebook and join over 90,000 of us who talk UK True Crime 24-7. We really do. It's many things. It's never dull. 
And to support the show, please head to patreon.com for bonus episodes and loads of other exclusive content. A huge thank you to all the latest members of this community. That's Josephine Robinson, Martin and Kath Corlett. Thank you so much. Your support is so much appreciated. And if you would like to join us, and why wouldn't you? I'm currently offering a discount of 12% on annual packages to celebrate. So that's 12%. Just go to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Okay, so that's all for me for another week. So until we talk again next week, please do take it easy. And remember, despite all the others, it's always the others. Stay classy. Cheerio for now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.